Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Thank you all for coming. Uh, if you're visiting or have really bad short-term memory, my name is Jeff and um, I'm one of the leaders here at the church. So thank you all for coming. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in the book of Acts today. The book of Acts, it's in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then there's a book called Acts, and we're going to spend some time in there. And if you don't have a Bible with you, if you look underneath the seat close to you, you can find a hardback black Bible there. And in that Bible, you can turn to page 913. Um, most of the scripture that we'll put up on the screens for you, you can follow along there, but it'll be in Acts chapter 5. So I want to share with you something that typically... I will share with the church at least once a year. We typically do a, a series on what we call core values, um, the first part of every year. And we didn't do it this year in January because we started our study in the book of Genesis. We really wanted to get that underway. But I wanted to come back to the core values now that we're done with our study in the book of Genesis and to just spend a, a few weeks, the next three weeks or so, just talking about some of the things that we think are primary in what we believe here at the church um, and that really um, drive the ministry and the work that we're doing in the church. Here's something that you and I probably would admit to have learned at some point in our life, is that the things that we do in life are oftentimes driven by the things that we value in our life. Let me say that again. The things that we do in life are driven by the things that we value. So, for example, if you or I want to have a little more financial stability in our lives, right? You want to be able to pay for that cracked windshield on your car when it comes up, right? Or the air condition goes out. You want to be able to pay for that without having to lean on maybe someone in the family or credit card, say amen, right? America, say amen, yes, right? So you want to have some of your own financial stability, and that's a value to you. What what then you'll do is every pay period is you'll take just a little bit of money and you'll stick it into a savings account or you'll stick it into a jar or a shoebox or something and you'll put that money aside. Again, the thing that you're doing is driven by that which you value. And the same is true here in the church. And I want to tell you the first value we have here at Renaissance is it's because of Jesus. Everything we do is because of Jesus. And you might ask, well, Jeff, I'm no dummy, but I mean, listen, um, don't you think every church in the city would at least say the same thing? Like if you go to any Christian church, wouldn't they say that they're, they're doing ministry because of Jesus, that the church exists because of Jesus? And I would probably say, yes, I agree with you completely. We just wrote it down <laughs> so that we don't forget it. It is the primary value that we have here in the church. Secondarily, we believe that growing people change, we'll talk about that next week, and that loving people serve to model our life after Christ, who came not to be served, but to serve. I think those three values really drive everything here at the church. 
If you are ever given an opportunity to sit in any leadership meeting in the office, those things would come up, I promise you. When we are sitting down with Pastor Joe talking about small groups, we are talking about how this can help people change, how growing people can change. And we're talking about doing baptisms and, and the life change moments that people have. This is all driven because of the work that Jesus has done in their life. And on and on it goes. But because of Jesus is first and foremost here at the church, and if you're visiting, just know that. We say that every week. Jesus is a big deal here. Yes? Yes. Of course he is. I wouldn't be here sweating through this shirt if it wasn't because of Jesus. I'm telling you right now, this is not my desire for my life. I had other plans, but Jesus interrupted those things, and he led me to plant this church and pastor you people, and I'm so thankful for that. But it's all because of Jesus. Know this. Jesus is probably the most impactful person to have ever lived on the earth. If you don't believe me, you can read Time Magazine's 2013 edition of the top 100 people in the history of the world. And Jesus barely beat out Napoleon for first place. <laughs> Seriously. Barely beat out Napoleon for first place. But Jesus is the most impactful person in the history of the world. More books have been written about Jesus than any other person. More songs written to him and sung to him than any other person in the history of the world. Our calendar is divided on Jesus. Did you know that? That we have, we tell time because of Jesus differently. Everything before Christ's birth, B.C., before Christ, and A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, is divided by Jesus coming to earth. We tell time differently because of Jesus, and he impacts our culture because of this, and he impacts not just the Christian religion, which you would think would be a given, right, since it's named after him, but it impacts other world religions as well. Islam looks at Jesus as one of their greatest prophets. The Hindus will look at Jesus and say, what a great person who's uh, achieved some, some enlightenment and what a great um, picture of nonviolence on the earth. And on and on it goes, Jesus has impacted a lot of people. And because of those things, we too want to make Jesus a main thing in our lives. We want to make Jesus the main value in this church. And in fact, as we get ready to jump into this study kind of in Acts I want to just give you a little backstory to springboard into what I want to say. I could start anywhere. I'll just start here. Jesus lived with his disciples for a few years. Right? I won't give you his birth in Bethlehem. Merry Christmas. But right? So Jesus is with his disciples. He's teaching them about the, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, etc. He is eventually murdered on a cross, buried in a grave, and yet God raises him from the third day, on the third day. Happy Easter, everyone. And for the next 40 days or so, Jesus is with his disciples, his best friends, and he's teaching them things, continuing to tell them things. And one of the things that he tells them is this. He says, listen, I'm going back to heaven. I'm going back to be with the Father. But before I go, I want you to know this. I'm going to send someone to help you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the very presence of God to indwell you, to be with you, to encourage you, to strengthen you, to make you smarter than you really are. Someone say amen to that. Yes, thank you, Lord. <laughs> right? To help you in everything that you do. And he tells his disciples, stay in Jerusalem until the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit, comes to you. Jesus ascends back to heaven. It's a wonderful story. You can read about it in your Bible. The disciples are standing there looking at the clouds, 
right? And then someone's like, wait, we, he told us to wait in Jerusalem. So they make their way to Jerusalem. They're in an upper room in Acts chapter 2. And it says, on a specific day, the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the presence of God, came into that room and into the lives of those disciples. And it impacted them in a profound way. In fact, I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of chaos going on in that room where the people outside of that room thought they were all drunk, day drinking is what they thought they were doing. They seriously said, we think you're all drunk. And Peter stands up, one of the most timid disciples. He stands up and he claims that these people are are not drunk like you think, but something significant has happened to them. And Peter begins to preach the first Christian sermon. And you know what he says? In the first Christian sermon to the first Christian congregation, the first congregation of hearers out there. Do you know what he says to them? He says, men of Israel, hear my words. Jesus of Nazareth. And he starts. He he just jumps into Jesus. He begins with Jesus because Jesus is the most important thing for any of us to understand. Everything comes from Jesus. It, 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 It derives itself from Jesus. If you and I have any hope for any effectual change in our lives, it will come on the heels of us submitting our lives to Jesus. If we have any hope of a reconciled relationship with God, the forgiveness of sins and repentance and all this stuff, it comes through Jesus Christ alone. And Peter stands up and says, hear my words, Jesus. And he starts to preach. Jesus is a big deal. The same apostle, Peter, gets with another apostle, John. And in Acts chapter 3, it says that they're making their way to the temple to pray, which I think is an important thing for us to do, is to pray. And they're going to the temple to pray, and they see outside the gate this man. We don't have his name, but we know that he's a beggar, a lame beggar. We know that he's been lame or crippled since birth. And this man is outside the temple and he's praying for alms. He's praying for for gifts, for money. He's praying for um, a way to make a living because he's crippled. He can't work. He's he's asking for charity from every God-loving person that makes their way into the temple to pray. And as Peter and John make their way into the temple this one day, he looks at them and asks for alms. And Peter says these words, He says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you. Guess where he goes? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Stand up and walk. So hear me, this book of Acts gives us the genesis of the church in the world. And if we as a church, small C church, Renaissance, want to model ourselves after what they did in the beginning, then we have to pay attention to what we're learning here in Acts. Here's what we've learned so far, that when Peter had an opportunity to preach, he preached about Jesus, right? Listen to me. Any of you ever get a chance to preach, preach Jesus. Like all that other stuff, it's nothing. Preach Jesus first. And the help that they were able to bring to this man who was lame came in the power or in the authority of Jesus' name. All the helps and the ministry that they did was burst out of Jesus. So here's the wrestle that we have to then deal with right now. Is when we're reading the book of Acts and when we see these things happening, the question we must raise is this. Is Luke the historian who wrote all of this, is he giving us an historical account only that's descriptive of what took place in the early church? Or is God wanting us to 
prescribe that to our lives. My point is this. Is it a descriptive verse or is it prescriptive for us? That's the labor that we have today. We have to wrestle. That's what they did. But should we still do that? My hypothesis would stand on this. Yes, we should still do that. But I don't just want to say that from my own voice. I want to say that from the words of Scripture. That Jesus is first and foremost, not just because I think it's a good idea. And not just because I've heard other pastors say so, but because the Scriptures of God say so. Peter and John, they heal this man. We'll call him Kevin. It just makes it, makes it better for me. <laughs> If he has a name, I don't know why, but I always like always, there's so many Kevins in scripture that are no Kevins at all. But anyways, so Kevin, Kevin gets healed, right? Praise God. And he goes into the temple with Peter and John and he's jumping around and he's like rejoicing. Wouldn't you? Yes. And he's rejoicing. Look what Jesus did. Look what Jesus did. And the people begin to gather around and, and some of the religious leaders in the temple, they get upset at Peter and John. And they're like, what are you doing here? And they're not really upset because the, the man was healed, because that would be cruel. That's not the issue. You know what their issue was? Is that they were going around saying this. This man walks. Kevin is, is walking now because of Jesus. Jesus was buried in a grave. God raised him from the dead, and we believe him. We've seen him. We know him. He's told us things, and this is why he's alive, because Jesus is alive. And on and on it goes. And the religious leaders, uh, um, spoiler alert, are the ones who killed Jesus, and they don't want to hear that Jesus is alive. And so they, they look at John and Peter, and they say, shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. Don't be telling people about Jesus. It's almost as if they're saying, it's okay to go around and live a pious life or a righteous life and to love God and serve God. That's fine. And it's even okay to help other people. Do all of those things. I think the world could use a lot more charity, yes? Just don't do it in Jesus' name, they say. Don't do it in Jesus' name. Chapter 4, verse 20. I'll read this one verse for you. Let me go back to chapter 4, verse 18. I'll put the words here on the screen. So they called them in and charged them not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. Right? Here's that thing. Shut your mouth. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must be the judge. But listen, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. We were singing that in that song right before I walked up here that we have seen these things. We have seen God work in our lives. Listen, if you're visiting here and you have no really experience with Jesus, you wonder if he's real or not. I mean, I'll tell you what, grab someone close to you and ask them if they know who Jesus is. And if they say yes to you, say, prove it. <laughs> say, what has he done in your life? What has he done in your, how has he helped your marriage? How has he helped your life? How has he changed you to be a better father? How, and on and on, ask them to, to say that I've seen him work in my life. He's proved it to me. Because those testimonies are helpful to us. Peter says that we must proclaim what we have seen and what we have heard. This is not a fairy tale of sorts that, have been, that has been passed down to us from our forefathers. We walked with Jesus. We saw him buried and he is raised to life. And he proclaims that message. And then we jump to verse 27 of chapter 5. And this is where I want to spend a little bit more of our time together. 
eventually Peter and John are arrested, just so you know. They get arrested because they refuse to stop, <laughs> right? You stop preaching in his name. Yeah, whatever. And they keep preaching. They get arrested for it, right? And then in verse 27, here they're brought back before the high priest. Let's pick up here in verse 27. And it said, when they had brought them, Peter and John, the apostles, and set them before the council, the high priest questioned them, saying this, we have strictly charged you not to teach in this name, this name of Jesus. And yet you, you have filled all of Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So what they're saying is, you're going around not just saying that Jesus is good, Jesus can help you, Jesus is a savior. They're going around saying, listen, God sent his son Jesus to the earth to restore mankind back to God. But the religious leaders, some of you people, you murdered him instead of listening to God. You murdered him on a cross. God right, raised him from the dead and all of that. And he puts the blame upon them. And they're frustrated. He says, don't put that man's blood upon us. But Peter responds in verse 29, says, we must obey God rather than men in this. We cannot not speak of this thing. I wrote a note in my Bible. That's what God wants from us. That's what, that's what he wanted from Peter and John, is just to testify to the works that, that God has done. This is what God wants from us. So if we're going to look at a church and wonder, is, should Jesus be a big deal here? I mean, besides the fact that we're calling ourselves a Christian church, but I mean, should everything we do be based upon Jesus? I would say yes, because of this verse. This is what God wants. He said, we must obey God rather than men. We must proclaim this good news. This is the God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, a cross. But God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. This is probably the second most important component about preaching Jesus is that Jesus has come to forgive our sins. I think oftentimes in America we have such a... Um, We have such a picture of the Christian church that's somewhat skewed by the media around us that we can, we can be made to be hateful people. And I think sometimes we can be hateful, but whatever. But the message of Jesus, first and foremost, should be the message of the forgiveness of sins. It should never be about um, behavior modification. It should never be about, well, if you're going to be a Christian, you got to stop drinking, stop smoking, stop chewing, right? All of that stuff. It's never about that. It is that Jesus has come to reconcile broken, sinful people back to a holy and perfect God. That is the, that is the main reason that Jesus has come. And we've turned it into religiousness. Now hear me. God will get a hold of your life through Jesus Christ, put the Holy Spirit inside of you. You'll probably stop drinking, cussing, smoking, doing all those things too. Because some of those things are not good for you. He'll also have you stop watching some things on television. He'll actually make you start watching some things on television. <laughs> because all of your coworkers at work are watching this thing called The Walking Dead. You're like, I have no idea. Right? And you'll watch it so that you can have a relationship with them so that you can then teach them about Jesus' love for them. No? Too, too far with the zombies? <laughs> 
Jesus' leader and Savior gives repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Oh, the good message of Jesus Christ. It is never a message of try harder, do more. Beat, beat your neighbor in all of their religious activity. I always found that comical. It's like we oftentimes compare ourselves to other people. We say things like, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. <laughs> right? I ain't perfect, right? But at least I'm not Kevin. Right? I'm not that bad. And, and yeah, I think God would lovingly want us to be more like Jesus. He would compare us to Jesus. That's fine. You're better than your neighbor. I get all of that. But how are you in comparison to Jesus, the man who lived sinless and perfect, who obeyed the words of God even to his own death and over and over again? Are you that good? The short answer is absolutely not. And then then the sacrifice of Jesus becomes forefront to us and we begin to realize, oh, that's why he came because I can't do all of this. Christ came, did all of this, and now through faith in him, I receive everything that he makes available to me. I have the forgiveness of sins through his sacrifice. I'm not required to sacrifice anything, but live my life wholly devoted to God. It sounds easier than it is, I know. The value here at the church that drives everything is because of Jesus. So they witnessed all of this stuff, verse 32. It says, we were witnesses to these things, and, and so is the Holy Spirit that God has given to those people who obey him. We have the Spirit of God inside of us. Now, when the council heard this, the high priest heard this, they were all enraged, and they wanted to kill them. I mean, think about this. Their faith in Christ has now brought a threat of violence, even unto death, against them. They want to kill them. But then a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel... A wise sage, a Yoda type, if you will, stands up before them all and begins to remind them of some recent history. Listen to what he says. This Gamaliel is a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people. He stands up and he gives orders to put Peter and John outside for just a moment. And then he says to them, men of Israel, listen, take care of what you're about to do to these men. You're about to kill them. You understand, like you're really going to kill these people. But know this, remember this, for before these days, Theodos, I don't know who that is, right? But he does. He says, Theodos rose up and, uh, and claimed to be somebody, and a number of men, uh, men, about 400 people, joined with Theodos. And he was killed. Wink, wink, we probably did that too, <laughs> right? Maybe the implication is we killed that one because he was saying he was somebody. He was the Messiah that God was going to send. So he was killed, and those people who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. Those 400 men went back to their jobs on Monday. And after him came another guy, Judas the Galilean. He also rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. But he too perished, wink, wink, and all that followed him were scattered. So he says, in this present case, this case about this man, Jesus, I'm telling you this, stay away from these people. Stay away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. If everything that they're doing is of God, then then they won't be able to stop it anyways. It, the implication is, listen, this Jesus guy, we murdered him, we put him in the grave. Now, they're claiming that he's raised from the dead, but we're not real sure about all of that. 
But just let them claim that for a while. And at some point, they'll just all give up on this fanciful idea that a man's been raised from the dead. And they'll go back to their jobs too. But let's not murder him, okay? Let's not murder these guys. We've already murdered one is what they're saying. The thing that stuck out to me, though, is this, this statement that if it's of man, it will fail. But if it's of God, then it will succeed. Okay, here at the church, we try to do everything that we can because of Jesus. Because we believe he's wanting us to be obedient to that preach, to be obedient to that ministry in Jesus' name. And if we do anything other than that, we might, we might wander into the lane that is what I want, or the lane that maybe what we want that's not really what God wants. And if we get over here, there's a very real possibility that it will fail. And who likes failure in their life? No one does. I'm convinced it, 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 if there's a way to keep the success rate at 100%, it is to always be obedient to God and to do what God would say. And I'm convinced that God wants Jesus preached every Sunday to every person who walks in. That, I'm just, I don't know any other message. Before I became a pastor of this church, I was serving at another church, and my pastor there, who is a loving, godly man, um, sat down with me, and he was asking me questions about stuff. How are things going? And I just shared with him, because you know I overshare everything, right? I just told him, I said, dude, I'm, I'm sweating bullets of this idea of, of planting a church and preaching every week, and I mean, I don't even know what to say, and to be honest with you, I know my Bible a little bit, but I don't know everything about the Bible, I mean, I don't. I still don't. I'll be very honest with you. I don't know everything about the Bible. And I'm, I'm terrified that I'm going to preach heresy. Do you guys know what heresy is? It's, it's wrong teachings about God. And heresy can lead people into a, well, you know what I'm saying. Heresy is bad. Okay? And I'm terrified I'm going to preach bad theology. And my pastor, sitting across the table from me, says these words. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? I said, yeah. Heck yeah. Right? Team Jesus, right here on my shirt. Do you believe that he came and and died on a cross for your sins and for the sins of the world? Yes, I believe that. Do you believe that after he was buried, God raised him on the third day? Yes, I I believe that. Do you believe he's ascended back to God? The Father in heaven has given his Holy Spirit to the earth to empower the believers to preach the gospel? Yes, yes. He said, then just preach those things. Just preach that over and over and over and over And let the fire of the name of Jesus catch in this place and begin to change people's lives. You might think, oh, how boring would it be to teach the same thing over and over and over again? Seven years we've been doing this. (laughs) Right? Seven years. And did you know we we have visitors come every week? Every week we have brand new people come. So we keep teaching the same message because God keeps bringing new ears every week. Some people are hearing this for the very first time that, Jesus has come not to judge and condemn and do all of those things, but to absorb the penalty or the punishment of sin on his own body to forgive sins. This is the message that Peter and John carried around. This is the message that Paul the Apostle got a hold of too and and began to plant churches all throughout Europe and Asia Minor. This is the message of Jesus Christ that began to sweep across the globe. That message landed here at some point, and we must not waver from that. 
Because of Jesus, they do all of this, even to the threat of violence. He says, if this is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to, able to overthrow them. <laughs> and you might even be found opposing God. I'm no genius, man, but I'm telling you what, it never ends well when you're opposing God. It just, it never ends well. I remember someone once told me, Jeff, you're strong-arming the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm like, eh, but I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to beat this thing in my life. I'm going to overcome this obstacle in my life, and I'm going to do it through discipline. I'm going to do it through all of this stuff. And this, this friend of mine who loves the Lord and is filled with the Holy Spirit, and he says, Jeff, you're like, you're like pushing the Holy Spirit out of your life so that you can do it on your own. And he, he said, the Holy Spirit wants to do it in your life. I, I never want to be in opposition to what God is doing. We must follow after God, which is why we study Scripture, because we see men and women who have gone before us and did it radically and uniquely and wonderfully and faithfully. And even some of them lost their own lives because of it. Verse 40 says, When they had called the apostles back into the room, Oh, wait, let me go back. Verse 39, you won't be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So it says they took Gamaliel's advice. Okay, we won't kill him. Next verse, so they brought him in and they beat him instead. <laughs> they brought him in and they beat all of the apostles and charged them again to not speak in the name of Jesus. And then they let them go. Verse 41, it says, when they left the presence of the council, they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Pride is a very funny thing. It, it will rear its head in the strangest of places. Their shame from being beaten in front of their colleagues, in front of the other people that they do life with, in front of the shopkeepers and the wives and the kids of the of their neighborhood. They're, they're publicly beaten in front of them by the religious authority. Everyone in the room would have thought, those guys have done something wrong. But they hadn't. They hadn't. They've been obedient to God through Christ, and they were being punished because of it. Over time, God will begin to open the eyes of those people, and they too will see the truth that is in Jesus. In fact, tradition tells us that Gamaliel, this wise, sage Yoda type, became a Christian. And I wonder if it wasn't built on this fact that after they were beaten, publicly shamed, that the men went out rejoicing that they could be worthy to, be, to suffer for Jesus Christ. Sometimes the pride in us refuses us to get to that place of brokenness, even the brokenness that is brought on by the world around us. God loves me so much and he hates the pride in my life that he allows me to sweat profusely every time I preach. That's a real thing. I have a closet of shirts in my office, right? I wish I could be cool and look awesome and all of that. I wish I could be fit too, but whatever, right? <laughs> There's a very real tussle that I go through every week, and God lovingly knocks the pride out from underneath me. He says, just sweat a little bit today. You know, when you raise your hands to praise him, they'll see those sweat stains and you'll be embarrassed and it'll be good in Jesus' name. 
I mean, think about that. God comes alongside of us and knocks those things out from underneath us that could disrupt our service of him. For some, here's a statement. For some people in the room, you've, you've publicly decried your um, disbelief in Jesus. That's make-believe, that's, that's fake, I don't believe in any of that stuff. And you've actually sat around the table with some of your friends in between shots and cigarettes and all that stuff, saying, I, that stuff's make-believe. I can't believe my brother believes in that stuff. I can't believe my family believes in that stuff. And here you are in a church now wondering if this stuff is real. And now you're going to have to decide, am I going to go back on the very words that I said in front of my friends for 20 plus years and, and have faith in Jesus or, or, and look like a fool is what I'm trying to get at or not? Sometimes the shame that comes to us by the world blesses the Lord. They left the presence rejoicing. God, help us to rejoice and to suffer. And every day, verse 42, and I'll finish here. It says, every day in the temple, so in the house of God, in the temple, where they would worship God and pray together, in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one, is Jesus is Jesus. That's what they did. That message spread all throughout the modern land, um, and that's what we will never waver from doing as well. That primary thing in our existence, um, as long as I'm pastoring here, will stick. Um, the question that I would lay before some of us here today is if, if the church is willing to do that, and we are, we've committed to it, we're not going to waver from this. Again, we'll do everything we can to stay on this. The the, the issue maybe for some of us in this room is, are, are you willing to do that in your life? Is Jesus going to be the main thing in your life? And what does that look like for you? I don't know. I don't know. It comes from having faith to believe first. And, and faith comes from God. It's like, I don't have the faith to believe. Well, ask him for it. I don't know if I can believe in this. God, help me believe. Okay. And, and watch God do this. Watch him give you the faith just to believe enough to in Jesus and the work that he's done. And then, and then oh my goodness, watch the Holy Spirit of, of God in your life begin to change things in your life. He begins to address things. Things, I'll be honest with you, if you have things in your life that you don't like, and everybody would admit that, right? Unless you're perfect. Anyone? Everyone has things they would love to change. I think God would love to change those things too. But he's not impotent to change them like you are. He's powerful enough to change them. For some of us, the hamster wheel of life is, I'm going to try harder, do better. You know, New Year's resolution, here we go. Right? Only to fail by June and July and fall back into our old pattern again to start back around again. Or you'll have a couple years of success beating back this thing in your life that you just abhor and, and detest. Christ sees that as well, and he is willing to come in, empower you with the Holy Spirit, and to eradicate that thing from your life forever. He becomes the primary value in your life, and everything that you do is determined by what you value.
I feel okay with that. We could print that, right? In fact, let's just make the podcast out of this message, cancel next service, don't tell anybody, and go to the celebration. That's what we should do. God, we thank you. God, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that the church has caught, caught this message of Jesus, that it is the most important thing. And, and God, we need to be a people who make Jesus the most important thing too. So, so God, help us first by giving us the faith to believe in Jesus and then by giving us the Holy Spirit to effect change in our lives, to allow pride to die, to give us the willingness to suffer ridicule and shame, embarrassment on behalf of Christ. And God, give us a testimony of a changed life at the next family reunion. Oh, what a wonderful opportunity to share the work of Jesus. Every year, the crazies come out at Christmas, right? And, and may at, at that time, may we could share some things that you have done. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for this church that we can gather together and, and worship and declare our praise to you, God. These next few minutes, God, help us to just to sing and to believe these words in these next few songs as we go back into a time of worship. Help us to cement them into our spirits. God, we thank you for everything that you do for us. It is, I, I really just feel a, um, just a gratitude in this place. God, we just thank you for everything that you do. We are so undeserving of your love and your compassion. We are so undeserving of forgiveness. But through Christ, we have it, God. Thank you. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together, we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.